Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. Today we have Rachel Reeves on with us from Here Are the Headlines. We run through several topics going on in the world, several news headlines that she covers on her platform. We talk about a popular Instagrammer who claims to be unbiased and what it means to be unbiased, what it means to have bias, and you know what that looks like uh, from a standpoint of consuming the news from you know, trying to get news that is objective, not subjective. We talked through the border crisis, Ukraine and Russia, and we spent a good portion of our time on education in the Department of Education and unions, teachers unions. These are big topics that everyone needs to know about. So we're excited for you to hear from her. We also end on a kind of fun topic. I'm almost 40 and pregnant. Rachel is in her 40s and pregnant. So we kind of laugh and discuss some of the questions that we both have been asked and That's pretty fun. So stick around for that part. Before we get into the episode, though, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Just click that subscribe button. That's how we show up in your feed every week with a new podcast episode. You don't want to miss out on the good episodes we have coming up. We have Elisa Childers coming up next week as an interview. That was excellent. We also have a mom coming on with us in a few weeks. She signed up on TikTok as a teenager and Holy cow, eye-opening what she experienced as a, quote, teenager on TikTok receiving content that was okay for teenagers. So I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Also, don't forget to check us out at theboomclapcommunity.com. There are four reasons maybe you would want to join our community. One, you might just want to support us and support the work we do here at the Boom Clap Podcast. Another reason, we have monthly meetups where we meet with our community directly on video chat where you can get into deeper discussion about things we talk about here on the podcast or just something that you want to talk about that we may not have covered. We also have quarterly literary discussions where we pick a book and we discuss the book then after we've all read it on one of our monthly meetups. We also added weekly roundups of the podcast episodes. So if you're already a member of our community, you know about this. It landed in your inbox this week. Cecily put together a great email that covers the show notes more in depth with links to all the things we discussed, including links to some things that are in the news that we feel very important for you to know about, but we didn't have time to cover because we just don't have time to cover everything here. But there are still things that we want you to know about. So anyway, don't forget to check out theboomclapcommunity.com. You can support us there for as little as $2 a month, as much as 25. Everyone gets the same information. It's just you know, on what you feel like you want to support us at. Um, so without further ado, let's get into this episode with Rachel. It was great. We enjoyed it and we hope you do too. Hi, Rachel. We are so glad to be on with you today. Um, I'm really excited about this episode because we've talked on social media a little bit, but never really in person. And so this is our first time discussing in person. And I feel like us, all of us, Cecily, you and I, like our brains kind of decipher information in a similar manner. And so, and our worldview is the same. And so I'm really excited about this episode. And just to go through some of the headlines with you, which you discuss on your Instagram page really well for all of us. So welcome. And can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. I'm really excited to be here. Um, <clears throat> Well, I am a mother of three, soon to be four. We're expecting our next baby in about uh, a month. And I live in Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. But um, I grew up and lived basically for my entire life until the last five years in Southern California. 
Um, and we moved out here and bought a small farm and um, I homeschool our girls. I've always been interested in politics and government and history. And so moving out here really triggered that even more, mm-hmm. living so close to the nation's capital. And um, when COVID hit about, gosh, I can't believe it's been three years ago. Um, I really started being very intentional about the media I was taking in and um, making some observations, keeping track of what I felt like was wrong with journalism and um, our mainstream sources of media and as a whole. And then I would just post things on like my personal Instagram account, just kind of, here's a headline and this is crazy, right? Um, And I was getting so much feedback from people who would say things like, oh, I don't have time to read the news. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Or, oh, I didn't know that was happening. Can you fill me in more? Do you have more resources? And so finally... Um, about a year and a half ago, I started a separate Instagram account that focused entirely on just the headlines. And that's why it's, you know, called here are the headlines, because um, I felt like there was a need for people who are not necessarily interested in history or government or politics, but definitely want to be involved And I think that um, involved in their understanding of what's going on, I should say. And then that's really amped up in the last year with people kind of having their eyes opened to the lack of transparency in the media um, and what exactly is going on feels like a lot of gaslighting um, and misinformation. And so yeah, I've just been over there kind of plugging away um, every day, sharing what's happening nationally and internationally, all the way down to cultural issues, um, which really have started to be the bread and butter of what I'm sharing Mm -hmm. because those are really where the fight's at, you know? Um, well, really neither one is separate, right? Right. Well, it's all, yeah, it's all just one. It's all intertwined. Yeah. And, and they each impact, you know, one another, each of those types of issues kind of plays off one another. And so, yeah, that's who I am and what I do gladly. I love doing it. And, um, even when the news is as it usually is really dark and, uh, challenging, I find that there's a way to share it where like-minded folks, people of faith can, you know, really tether ourselves to hope, which we have in the Lord. And I just, I feel, you know, really grateful to get to to do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you do a really good job at it. You do a Thank good you. job at going through the headlines in a concise manner that people can digest I appreciate that. And then also the fact that, you know, you said you do it in a way that is allowing people to still have hope. I think that that's one of the big things that gets lost sometimes is that people think if you're going to be informed all the time, you have to live in this state of anxiety and fear. And that's just not the case. And that's one thing Cecily and I often come back to is we want to inform people of things going on in the world. We want to use this podcast to help people know what's going on culturally and uh, anchor that to their values, which come from a source. And so 
Um, I appreciate that about you. And speaking of that, that you do come from a Christian worldview. Yeah. I want to get this one right off the bat. Sharon says so. Um, (laughs) I know this might be like, I I, I want to bring this up without like putting, like throwing someone under the bus. I just want to bring this up because I know that so many people I see sharing posts and so, um, misled Mm -hmm. by her account Mm -hmm. because she claims to come from a state of unbiased. She's not biased. She's reporting everything from an unbiased stance. And that's not true. If if you are a conscious consumer of media, you know that that's not true. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate that you openly state your bias. You state the facts Mm -hmm. and then you say, you know, this is my opinion because of my Christian worldview. So Why do you think it is that people are so easily sucked into a claim of no bias? Yeah, well, and I was thinking about this because what's very interesting too is, and I um, don't follow her closely uh, anymore, but many, many people do. I mean, she has an enormous reach. Mm -hmm. Millions, Um, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, people will constantly ask me or send me posts. What do you think about this? Something feels off. Something feels off. Um, And there's been times when she has posted and said, you know, um, everyone has a bias, you know, back way back when. And then there's been other times when she has said, um, I don't have a bias on this topic and, um, and kind of trying to just keep out of anything, uh, that she shares the fact that the way we come to conclusions is based on what we believe you can't separate the two. And one of the infamous um, posts, which really made me want to talk about it, not gossip about her, but talk about and dissect the idea was when she claimed um, that you cannot write and enact laws based on morality. And Mm -hmm. I, that just blew my mind that so many people were like, exactly. And I thought, oh my gosh, we have been so misled. That is exactly how laws are written and formed. They are and will be based on some form of morality. Um, It just depends on whose that is. So going back to your question, I think people, I think that the phrase unbiased is like a tagline that people really feel very confident using. They love using it because our, Makes them feel good. Well, that and our, our media and um, culture has conflated the term unbiased with truth. So yes. they kind yeah. of conflate the two and think, well, if I'm unbiased, then I'm just reporting the facts. I'm just telling you the truth. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there can be biased news that is true, yes. Um, and I think Sharon would even agree with that, of course. Um, but to, I think people kind of couch any statement they want to make um, with the term unbiased because it makes them feel like they are then free to say what they like and people are going to accept it as truth. And maybe it will, um, you know, prevent them from doing further research. I know mainstream media and large legacy um media conglomerates, they'll use the term fair and unbiased or, you know, it's an even look at the news and we're just sharing the news. And I can appreciate people wanting to do that and trying their very hardest to not, to remain 100% factual. 
Um, but we are all humans with ideals and a set of moral um, values that we adhere to. We have faith or we have a lack of faith. And that will inform everything we think about, do, and digest. And to think that we can then just separate our morality or our sense or definition of morality from what we're reporting is just, it's a fool's errand. It's not going to work. So I just think people don't think that through. They think they can be biased in every other area of their life, which they do in choosing friends, choosing the school they send their kids to, choosing whether or not to go to church. But then when it comes to something as important as sharing factual data that we're not going to be biased in what we choose to share, what we choose to ignore, it's just not, it won't work. Totally. I just want to take one minute to pull out something that you said that I thought was really good the way you phrased it, that unbiased does not correlate with the truth. Yeah. It does not equal the truth. And just the way you explained that was really good because I do think that is a trap that a lot of people are falling into, Mm -hmm. especially with large accounts like that, right? You see a large amount of followers Mm -hmm. that gives you some sort of trust level, right? And then when you also start hearing things like unbiased, it gives you another level of trust. And we talked about in our last episode, I think it was, that gaslighting was the word of the year. I forget for which one. Was it Webster's? Uh, no, Webster's, yeah, Webster's was zombie mode or goblin mode. Right. <laughs> goblin mode. So okay, then, then I oh, can't remember which one it was from, but yeah, yeah gaslighting was word of the year for one of them. Yeah. A different dictionary. Um, but yes, that's right. Goblin mode. Mm. That was a whole other one. And I think I saw that on your account, yeah, actually. It's ridiculous. And, yeah. Yeah. That was ridiculous. That's crazy. (laughs) But anyway, gaslighting, we talked about that a little bit in our last episode. And um, really, when we're equating being unbiased with truth or being told that we should conflate those two, Mm -hmm. it is gaslighting because it's it's altering our perception and understanding of reality and morality. So I think that's a really important truth for people to get from what you just said. Yeah. And I think that in the same way, on the flip side, being unbiased does not, or being biased does not always equate to a lie either. I mean, right. that's why I think I am, you can be biased and be truthful and you can be, you can have mm-hmm. a liberal bias and be truthful in your mm-hmm. assertions yeah. and what you're reporting. Same goes for a conservative. Um, I just think it's more convenient when you meet someone, especially in our culture, um, Right away, when people disagree with something I post, the messages come in and they are rarely targeting what I'm saying factually with data or examples, Um, but they are usually attacking my lifestyle as a Christian conservative, as a homeschooler, as a mom, as someone who is white and uh, lives in a nice, you know, county in our country. So it rarely has to do with the factual data I'm sharing, it usually has to do with the bias that I make very clear to people. And so it works both ways. Just because I'm biased doesn't mean that what I'm telling you is a lie. You just don't like me. Therefore, Mm -hmm. it makes it more difficult to consume what I'm sharing or you don't care for my ideals. And the same thing also goes for the flip side. If someone says they're unbiased, that doesn't mean that they're sharing truth. They just don't understand what, how bias really impacts um, everything we do, truly. Yeah. And isn't it interesting that what you were describing as well, your bias, which you clearly stated, like you live in a nice county, you're white, you're a woman. Um, so people don't like you because of who you are, because right. of some of those things you listed off. Right. 
But isn't it interesting that it's their bias Mm -hmm. that's making them not want to trust the information that you're putting out? Right. Right. It's really interesting how that's often not caught by people. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Happens all the time. All the time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what are a few things that you can give people to help? I know like we've just talked about everybody has bias and there's going to be some level of subjectivity within reporting regardless. But what are some things people can do to identify the subjective versus objective reporting? Yeah, that is difficult. Um, But I would say probably the few things I would tell people to look out for, especially if they're following a few accounts that um, they are routinely visiting. So they have kind of a good grasp on what they are, or not just accounts on social media, obviously, because people are getting their Mm -hmm. news from paper news, uh, media, uh, television, or uh, podcasts. What I would say is um, pay attention to the um, topics that they're routinely sharing. And are they giving any attention to topics that might not necessarily fit their narrative um, by discussing them, discussing maybe where there's uh, pitfalls or difficulties within even things that they would naturally align with, you know, um, yes. uh, for instance, you know, I, I follow, you know, lots of these bigger accounts and they will for sure share about things that align with a progressive agenda, but they will rarely share positive news. Um, if it does not align with what they are doing. And I have to think about that as well with me. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, when there's a win for an administration, there's a win for everybody in our country. If something positive is done within an administration, but so many accounts don't like to do that. They like to highlight, you know, what drives a narrative. Um, so I would say definitely pay attention to the overarching narrative that they're, that they're giving out. Are they only looking at a issue from one angle? be it abortion um, or the border crisis or education? Are they looking at it from all the different angles and talking about that? Um, And then, gosh, I guess I would also say I would pay attention to how they handle dissent. Um, A lot of these bigger accounts, it's wild to me how many times I hear from people who say, I contacted this person because I had a genuine question. And I wanted to hear their opinion and they blocked me or they Mm -hmm. told me not to, um, you know, told me not to contact them anymore or whatever. Um, How do they handle dissent? Is it done publicly? Do they ever talk to people who they disagree with? I think that's another thing that's really interesting with a lot of social media accounts who also have podcasts or national platforms or even just some kind of they write newsletters or they write for a publication, um, and they very rarely will engage with people that they disagree with. And that to me is a huge, uh, it can be a huge red flag. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, do you have discussions in your comments? Do you bring on people if you have a podcast that you don't align with, that you want to talk with and, and actually hear what they're saying? So I think those might be things I would look for. And then probably just the feeling you get when you're there. If you feel like something's off and something really rubs you the wrong way over and over when you visit, but you can't pinpoint it, I would pay attention to that because that's likely if you're a believer too, you know, that could be the Holy Spirit just telling you, you know what, just it's discernment. I don't know if this is 
something's off here. Those are really good tips, especially the conversations and how they handle dissent. I mean, that's something I notice on social media majorly. Yeah. Um, having, you know, conversations throughout the COVID era, mm-hmm. really, um, it, it's very rare that anyone wants to have a real conversation. Like you said, most people are pointing at you, yeah. not what you're saying. Yeah. But occasionally you will have people that come with a genuine question. Yeah. And that was something I always welcome because if you have somebody wanting to have a conversation and learn, like that's such a great thing. Yeah. Um, even if they don't agree with you, even if they don't come away uh, changing their mind. And so that's a really good thing to look for. Yeah. Um, that That's a good, that's good advice that I didn't think about. So thank you. All right. So moving on, we're going to do some like quicker topics here at the beginning. And then education is going to be the one we end up with because we have a lot there. Um, Border crisis. So you've been talking about the border crisis Mm -hmm. lately. What are some main facts that our listeners need to know? Um, You know, it's a disaster. It is an actual crisis. I think that and to be clear, we're talking about the, the southern, Mexico. I, yeah, I'm talking about the yes, southern, border. The southern yeah. border. We're not talking about the U.S.-Canada border right, since no, no, we've got no. a Canadian on here with uh, us. Yeah, Canadians uh, are always trying to cause problems at the border. <laughs> no, the southern border has been a problem for a while, but it is just the uptick it, since President Biden took office is just remarkable. And, you know, I think that it's very clear that um, they are not handling it as well as they should be. Um, They are not giving it the time or resources that it needs. They are not um, giving it the attention either on a national scale when talking with the American public or even just being down there and witnessing. I mean, President Biden's been down there one time since he's been in office and it was a publicity tour. It was, it was a stunt. It was not an actual meeting of the minds. It wasn't him sitting down and talking through from what everybody in the world and in our country saw. He met no migrants. He talked with very few people. He was there a very short amount of time. Um, Kamala Harris, who was charged with this uh, when she took office as the vice president has done nothing that anybody has seen except for maybe pay it lip service a couple times. So truly, and it's playing out in the numbers. So I jotted down a few things. Um, since Biden has taken office, 5 million migrants have entered our Southern border. Um, and 1.2 million of those have been able to escape into the U S um, And, you know, there's cities, these cities, these border towns are being so impacted. You have these people in these border towns. It does not matter if they are Republican or Democrat or independent. They are calling out, crying out, saying this is wrecking our towns. This is wreaking havoc on our way of life. We need help. This is not sustainable. You have Yuma, which has seen an influx of like 6,000 migrants a week. and um, you know, they only have about a hundred thousand people who live there. It's remarkable. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. And you know, they currently one medical center, I was just reading today, one medical center has $22 million of unreimbursed expenses, you know, because of all the migrant, um, traffic that's coming through people who are needing help. Um, you know, and, and then there's also the problems you don't even think about. This is crowding streets. There are people 
<clears throat> that are basically camping out in these towns. Um, there's other problems that have not even once been mentioned in the national media that I've heard. I read it in a piece that someone in one of the border towns was writing about how it's wreaking havoc on the agriculture. Um, the different fields and places where people grow foods are being um, trampled and they, it's not sustainable if people are constantly walking through all of their agricultural kind of like hotbeds and it's, it's ruining the, you know, the agricultural system in place in some of these towns. And so, you know, we have Biden and his team who, when they were running was, you know, tearing Trump to shreds for, you know, keeping title 42 in place to kind of have some sort of system there to <laughs> rein in this influx and so they got rid of Title 42, but then he kind of expanded like a 1950s era immigration plan that they're now using. But, uh, you know, and so it's okay if he does it. <laughs> wasn't okay if Donald Trump did, you know, and he would say it was because Title 42 wasn't the most effective way in doing it. But that's not how they framed it. They framed it as a racist, mm -hmm. xenophobic yeah. type of, you know, uh, policy but now they're they, they realize they're in charge now they're realizing that something needs to happen and so now they're you know they have this new policy that's basically allowing certain migrants from like you know Nicaragua and Venezuela and a few other countries to register on an app for an appointment and then they'll be able to come in once they have an appointment and everything's kind of um past to be in the country for two years and whatnot. And so that's being kind of put into place, but without realizing that there's a huge problem that needs to be solved on our border with people coming in illegally, not doing it the proper way. Mm -hmm. um, there's going to be a whole host of problems with, an, I mean, what could go wrong with using an app for um, immigration. I mean, that's a whole other can, can of worms, you know, there's just, our, our immigration system has been broken for a really, really long time. The difference is now that we have a weak, we have a weakened system of enforcement because resources are not being allocated to border patrol. Um, and we do not have you know, the infamous wall. We have no separation. They're trying their best with certain, you know, wire. I was reading a, a, another piece today about just the, the lengths that these border patrolmen are having to take themselves with just kind of putting up, uh, you know, barbed wire in certain like places. Makeshift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a well, dire there's just so much hypocrisy in this situation also, you know, with, like you said, it, saying that what Trump was doing is bad. Now they realize they need a system. So yeah. it's the identity politics that really grosses me out. It's yeah. disgusting. Yeah. Like it's all identity politics. They want to pander to a group of people mm -hmm. in America who thinks that it's mean to close our borders right. and also pander to, you know, a potential populace that can get them more votes in the future. Right. At the same time, they're closing borders to right. people who want to legally immigrate or legally travel here yeah. and making it so strict. For example, Cecily, 
I can I can go see her now because Canada has opened up their border with the vaccine mm-hmm. uh, with the vaccine stance. But I she cannot come see me because if she doesn't have a vaccine, she can't come see me. That's still in place. So mm-hmm. it's so much hypocrisy with yeah. how we're handling this situation. Absolutely. The hypocrisy in identity politics really, really bothers me there. Yeah, so, and it's bad. It's going to get worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, that's well, what we're I, seeing. We're, and we're seeing the hypocrisy in all areas of the administration too. Yep. Like thinking of the classified document situation that you guys have going on down in the States right now. Right. Like it was terrible when yeah. it was found in Trump's place. Right. But now it's like, oh, well. Yeah, what, well, what can it you killed do? me when it killed me when the first headline I saw about it was those classified documents could have been planted. Right. Sure, and right. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, like the whole Russia I collusion mean, yeah. situation. The guy, like, has just, been in, <laughs> the guy has been in an official government capacity for like a thousand years. Um, so don't tell me <laughs> this is planted. And you know what? I'm going to try and be fair here and say, you know... <laughs> Well, and and you've probably heard today that Pence came out and said he has classified documents. So that just hit the news too. And what I posted today was like probably every single person who has been in office, every former and alive vice president or president is scouring their home right now because I do think we have a problem (laughs) with overclassifying literally everything. That's why if you've ever looked at declassified documents, when they're finally declassified and made public, you go through it and you're like, why is this classified? It's from Mm -hmm. 70 years ago. This did not even need to be classified then, let alone like Mm -hmm. 10 years ago. So we overclassify for sure. But I think what this will um, illuminate even more is just like Cecily said, the hypocrisy. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Now, did Trump handle it in a way uh, <laughs> that I think he shouldn't have? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, it doesn't change the fact that you had classified documents. So what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Like, yeah. that's just it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I totally derailed it when I brought up classified documents. I'm going to bring it back to the border for a second. Um I just want to talk about those numbers that you said when you first started talking about this again. Yeah. So 5 million mm-hmm. that we know of yeah. have entered since Biden took office in 2020. The southern so border, when yeah. I think about, yeah, when I think about the size of Canada, mm-hmm. there's approximately 38 million people yeah. in Canada. Mm-hmm. And if I'm thinking like, oh, we have an influx of 5 million illegal yeah. immigrants mm-hmm. every two to three years, mm-hmm the face of the country would be completely different within a few years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's happening and it will continue to happen unless there are humongous changes to our immigration process Mm -hmm. um, and our border patrol and the security there. um, Mm -hmm. You know, again, everybody wants to talk. It's just this, it's exactly the same with, you know, the war in Ukraine. Everybody wants to support and help because, saying that and saying that you want, we are, you know, the tagline, we're a nation of immigrants and we need, Mm -hmm. people are looking for a better life and you do the same thing if you were there. Um, Those things all sound very good and true and based in things that make America beautiful, but there are consequences for actions and no country (laughs) will survive if they have open borders. That means that we need to have closed borders with a system that is fair and that is precise 
and that works. And we don't have that. And so Mm -hmm. we are just opening ourselves up to, I mean, even if every single one of the the migrants coming in, the 5 million were upstanding and wonderful and had pure motives and wanted to work um, and uh, give their families a better life, it would change what our country looked like on so many levels that I don't think we're prepared for. But what we're also seeing is with the influx of people at the southern border, we're also seeing an uptick of um, clashes with the drug cartels, problems with um, child and sex trafficking. We're seeing problems with um, death along the southern border of the migrants. We're seeing violence in the border towns. We're seeing all of these different problems that are directly a result of our poor immigration mm-hmm. system. And so, you know, what are we going to do? It's not going to be enough for us to say, well, we just really want to be a country of migrants, of immigrants. No, we, we do want to have that, but we have to have a, a structure like any other nation has to, mm-hmm. to handle this appropriately in a timely manner, which is a big problem, um, and safely for our citizens that are already here, who have gone through the process or who are born here. That's where the first interest should be. Yeah. yeah. I like to always zoom in on this issue and like compare it to a family, right? Yeah. Like a country is in a way a large family. Mm-hmm. And when you think of your family home, you don't just leave it open for anyone right. to walk into because you have a kind heart. Yes. You want to help the people that come to your yep. door if you can. And after you've made sure that your children and your family are going to be safe, yep. but it's just the, the way that it's being done on a large scale is alarming. And yep. I, I don't know why people think it's so much different than protecting your home and your family. It's not. And I mean, it's just, it's real, it's, it's one of those issues that people are afraid to, they feel odd about it. It's like what we were talking about earlier, but something feels off and the reality of what's going to happen and the consequences is in conflict with what they feel like they should say. People need to be able to say, we have a duty to our citizens to care for them first, to look out for them, and then to deal, and and because of that, to deal with our border crisis in the most um, expedited and prudent way. And we're just not doing that. We're not paying it the attention that it needs, and it is a crisis. Yeah. My daughter had just asked me something the other day, and I can't remember what it was in relationship to. I think it was something about our borders. It had to be. But we just talked about how, you know, we're not nomadic anymore. We're not just hunters and gatherers. We have a culture. You know, we have property rights. Mm -hmm. We've accepted that. And if we want to continue with that, we need to have some sort of system. You can't just, you know, and I think that's a problem that people who think this sounds good, like open border sounds good to, they haven't really put into perspective what that looks like, giving up property rights and all of those things, because that's ultimately what it boils down to. If you're going to just open your border, like Cecily said, you know, ultimately we're opening our doors eventually too, because things will not be the same and our culture will dissolve. Right. But um, I think 
also, like you said, you know, we need to be talking about these things. Cecily and I just had a conversation about this yesterday about tiptoeing around things. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, you know, there's so many of these situations. We're going to go to Ukraine next where, you know, it's not comfortable to talk about because your mark somehow is hateful or mean if you bring these subjects up. Mm -hmm. But just like with the COVID situation, there are things that we're doing that aren't necessarily helping, like leaving kids home from schools, wearing masks, Mm -hmm. like putting your change in a cup at the drive-thru and the person takes the cup inside the drive-thru window and pulls the change out with their hand. Like it looks like you're doing something, but you're not really ultimately doing something that's helpful. And actually you might be doing something that's harmful. Like all the things you mentioned with the sex trafficking, the drug cartels, like all of those things, like people are so far removed and so comfortable in America that they just think they want to help everyone. And they don't even know that what they're actually doing is hurting people. A critical component to our homeschool is current events. There's lots of things that I must include in our homeschool every day because I feel it's important for my kids. Current events is one of those things, which is why I am so glad that we have found World Watch News. World Watch is a 10-minute news program produced by Christian journalists talking about captivating stories, relevant headlines, clear explanations that are a perfect fit for middle and high school students, although my oldest is 11 and my youngest is 7, and they are all engaged with World Watch News. My oldest, in fact, is quite obsessed with it. He is accessing all of their archived episodes not because not only do they produce a new episode every single weekday but you have access to all the archive shows as well so he is going through all of those this is a program that builds news literacy critical thinking and biblical discernment all so important you can stream it from your phone tablet roku apple tv and it also has the daily reminder that is so important that whatever the news the purpose of the lord will stand so if you use our url which is worldwatch.news backslash boom clap, you get a free seven day trial. And then after that, it's only $6.99 a month, which I can tell you as a user of Worldwide is so worth it. Let's move on to Ukraine now and just give us some a rundown of some things that our listeners should know. The spending to date, mm-hmm. um, huge, huge amount of spending that we're doing. Um, I had posted about Ukraine back in March. Mm-hmm of 2022. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was very clear in my statement that, you know, like I didn't agree with what we were doing, Mm -hmm. but that it was ultimately the people in the, of Ukraine being hurt by these elitist agendas, you know, and the, all of this and people weren't ready to hear it. I still don't know if people are ready to hear it, but it was like angering to people to hear that somebody could be speaking against sending all this money to Ukraine even when you're saying clearly that it's the people that are being harmed by this ultimately. Oh yeah. And I think when these kinds of things come up, what we can look back on to kind of bolster ourselves, not that we're always going to be right, but I mean, look at the last three years you had parents at the beginning of COVID within the first couple months after we did have some information, I think everybody was rightfully petrified the first couple weeks. Like what they're telling us that like billions of people are going to die. Oh, Okay what's going on. But once we had some information, we can make more informed choices. People started saying things about masks, about school closure, about ridiculous measures that they're taking at the grocery store, um, like random things. And you were shot down. You were called a conspiracy theorist. You were canceled. And now three years later, all of the headlines are saying things that people were saying 
in the first, all those crazy people were saying within the first couple months. Mm -hmm. And you can be sure that the same sorts (laughs) of things are going to be happening with um, the social contagion of the trans movement, of all of the garbage that's being taught in schools about the that is funneled through this progressive agenda. And I think a lot of these same things are going to be said about the Ukraine war. People want to say things that make them feel good, that make them feel yes. altruistic and loving and caring. And I get that. I totally do. But I think a lot of times people, myself included, don't have all the information before they speak or the context or the historical kind of like bigger picture that we just want to say, oh my gosh, yes, this is horrible what's happening to the people of Ukraine because it is. But does that equate with let's send numerous multi-billion dollar packages of aid and people feel nervous to say, I don't feel right about this, but I'm not a foreign policy expert. Um, I don't know everything that's actually happening, um, but I feel weird about it. And I feel like there might be a level of corruption based on what I know. Um, so yeah, it's, it's real dicey. And even for someone like myself, who I am really informed about the news, I'm constantly reading and trying to learn more. Even I sometimes will stop and question myself and go, do I, am I trying to make something out of nothing? Why do I feel like this? So you know, that is normal. Um, it's cause you're checking yourself. Like right? that's good. <laughs> that's yeah. Good. But something, I mean, we're a year into this and, uh, to date we've spent $26.7 billion in security aid. That's a lot of money. 26, 26.7 billion. And, you know, it's hard too, because it's not us making the decision. It's our representatives in Congress. And I think that that's really difficult for people, even though this happens all the time and people don't have a huge problem with it on a, um, during normal times, (laughs) because that's just how our government works, which is a whole other conversation about how the rains, I mean, just so much money is spent all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but when it comes to this, I, I have people who I have regarded as people who are just very, they would, they would, err on the side of, yes, let us send as much aid as we can because of this reason, this reason, this reason. And even they are concerned when there's multiple billion dollar packages being released every month um, mm-hmm. and weapons being sent and ammunition and um, just, I, I've given rundowns and lists of what we've sent there um, in addition to money. And it is a lot. I mean, a lot of money. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we the are- latest thing, which is small potatoes is I posted there. The, there's a Republican representative actually who had proposed a bust of Vladimir Zelensky be put in Congress. Mm. So they've, they're hiring an artist to render, I guess, a bust of Vladimir Zelensky this to doesn't, it doesn't put in Congress. Me. Like I know that's money wise small, no, but, but it's, it's just like why it's are ridiculous. we even talking about it? Like yeah. why is this even yes. a thing? Because but but that's when it goes back to what we said at the top <laughs> of the show was that you can't separate culture from government choices and policy and things like that. I mean, he is a war hero now, and he will be until something you know tarnishes that. 
you know, people are describing him as, you know, our generation's Winston Churchill, which I can't even, but like they're bringing him onto award shows and they're having him speak at all of these different events and him and his wife are on the front of Vogue magazine and his wife is speaking at, I believe she just spoke at Davos. Um, or if it wasn't there, where was it? The World Economic Forum. Yeah. I just, that's, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, in Davos. Yeah. So I, you can't separate the two. This, these are intertwined and it's a cultural Which makes phenomenon. Sense because if you look at, like election, it sounds like he was somewhat of a Soros appointee. Yep. So it makes sense that his family would be involved at Davos. Yeah. <laughs> it's all just, um, it's been going on a year. And what you're hearing from the headlines is that we need to do this. We need to do this. And, and historically speaking, I understand that the, I understand people wanting to do this so that Russia does not seem to think that they can extend even further into countries that aren't covered by NATO um, and take even more and, and feel emboldened to take even more um, land that is not theirs, um, that they feel is theirs, to embolden China to work with Russia, to you know, and how this would impact Taiwan and all of these different things. I definitely understand that. I also understand yeah. that... They have been telling us that all of this money is needed um, in order because because Russia's losing. They need this because Russia is failing. But it's been a year and this is still ongoing. And so I'm wondering, would they not have failed yet a year in and us spending $26.7 billion? I want to understand what our direct interest is in doing this and if we're really going to say the objective is to defeat Russia, you have to at some point give Russia some kind of um, end goal. You have to tell them, like, there has to be some kind of bartering happening. Like, they're not just going to be told, we have a lot of, um, you know, security aid from these countries, and we just don't want you to be here. Because that that's not how their minds work. This is what they're doing. Right. They have an objective. There has to be some kind of give and take. They're not just going to go, you're right. We're going to leave Donbass and all of Ukraine alone because we've been bested. No, there has to be some meeting of the minds and someone coming to the table going, okay, we'll give you this. You need to stop. Um, we will stop this if you will stop this. But I just don't feel like that is occurring. I feel like it's a, we're going to wait this out and we're going to keep giving money and uh, I, I just, I have a bad feeling about it. And I don't know why. Again, I'm not a foreign policy expert and I'm not an expert on this region. But I, you know, the, the data doesn't lie. What, what's going on in the last year of watching it play out, there's no end point for Russia, really. They're just going to keep going with what they're doing. Yeah. Which is a horrible thought. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a horrible thought. Um, you had said the word altruism. Like, people want to be seen as altru altruistic. Yeah. And it's true. And I think this is another case, though, where it's like, it looks different zoomed in than it does zoomed out. So it's like, uh, people believe that they can claim the title of altruistic because they're American or because they're Canadian and their country is sending this or their country is doing that. But when you zoom in on a personal level, are you an altruistic person? Yeah. 
yes, your tax dollars are going somewhere, but what are you doing personally? Right. And I think that's the thing that people don't realize can make the biggest difference at home Mm -hmm. for big things like this. Like, what are you doing Mm -hmm. to make a difference? What are you doing to be an actually altruistic person? Or are you just um, sending this money, which is coming out of nowhere, apparently, because the U.S. is treating money like it's imaginary, honestly. (laughs) Um, It's imaginary money um, that doesn't actually exist unless you're printing it and causing inflation to go up and up and up so that you can send it somewhere. And then when you think about it with what we just talked about with the southern border, while also trying to support this huge influx of people moving in there, it's not sustainable because the money is imaginary and the altruism is actually imaginary as well, unfortunately. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's no effort at all to post something on social media, add a flag to your profile, whatever. What the real work is, is when the citizenry has to actually... Um, you know, the real work is happening like people who are actually impacted by the southern border that are living in border towns. They're the ones who, regardless of party affiliation, are like, this is not working. You know, it's the people Mm -hmm. that are in the trenches dealing with the actual stuff. It's very easy to be, say, myself living in northern Virginia and posting about it online. What will matter is when I take a stance on something and I have to actually put my money where my mouth is, I have to volunteer, I have to get involved, I have to get informed. Um, So I think you're right. All right. So let's move on to education. I'm really, this is the topic I'm most excited Mm -hmm. about, I guess. Um, So Let's start with teachers unions. Mm-hmm. You, I had went through and screenshot some of your stories from education, your education highlights, but this is from a teacher's union. Mm-hmm. They posted the nation's politicians who've neglected an underfunded education for years and scored cheap political points vilifying teachers have condemned a generation of young Americans to disrupt learning in empty classrooms and left them with a the feeling that nobody really cares. And you had commented to this. I don't doubt for a second that the last few years have been difficult for many teachers, but that's not because politicians are vilifying them. And obviously this tweet point is pointed directly at Republicans who are not the party that kept classrooms empty and children in front of screens for years. Also, our system is certainly not underfunded. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. And then you go on to share a, um, it's a screenshot of a chart that's showing funding. And you say, on average, the states and federal government allot approximately 15,000 to each student enrolled in the public school system. If schools are underfunded and not running well, it's not for lack of money. It's because of how the money is spent. And that is often the direct result of poor management, bloated administration, and or poorly run government supported Department of Education, period. Mm -hmm. Look at the graph. Spending per student has risen every year. Scores and results have gone down. Right. So, um, unions, number one, aren't they good in there to protect people? I think that what unions started <laughs> as, you know, decades and decades and decades ago was really um, totally different than what unions operate as today. And especially within the last 20 years, but I mean, I think we're watching it on a large scale in front of our eyes right now. The largest teachers unions, um, the AFT, and the NEA, they are fully endorsing progressive ideas in education. They're they're fully in favor of it. And so they're not just 
you know, what might have once been said where they were looking out for the um, fair treatment of teachers um, at one time. Now it's becoming a vehicle to collect dues from union members, which is most teachers in the public school and government schools, to collect Mm -hmm. dues and push through a agenda. And because a great many, a majority of teachers who are in these unions count on the unions to negotiate and fight for wage increases and other things that they find valuable, they will not say anything. And I, I think that there is a large contingent of teachers who are pro-progressive education and progressive ideals, but not all of them. And I think that there's teachers mm-hmm. that stay in these unions because they are protected in a sense and they are also, um, they have someone negotiating on their behalf. And our teachers unions are in the pocket of the Democratic Party. That it, This isn't like me, you know, uh, saying something that is widely disputed no, it's or true. even argued. It's 100% it's true. true. Yeah. yeah. It's 100% true. The teachers unions in Chicago run our state in Illinois. Right. That is 100% true. And it goes for unions in general. I had done an episode, Cecily, when was that? Maybe this fall on the nurses union. Yeah. Because there was a Mm -hmm. huge strike in Minnesota with nursing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting. All these nurses that were absolutely against the things happening during COVID times just were automatically pro-union in this instance. Right. And they had no idea what was actually happening. And this the president of the Minnesota Nursing Unit Union was actually on the Biden administration COVID policy yeah. um, committee. And so it's just really interesting, just that that's a total aside, but just unions in general are not what people think they oh, are. Oh, no, and they and are- they, only, they are agents of political change, Yeah, 100%. and they're, they're activist organizations, and mm-hmm. they have been for a long time, and almost every single one of them is working with or in the pocket of the Democratic Party. I mean, look at Randy Weingarten during- um, COVID. I mean, she is, was, was not, she was saying all the things out loud. It's not like she was trying to hide, you know, who she was platforming and who she was working for and what her goals and agendas were. Um, and so I think, I think another issue with unions is that, um, lots of this generation, like my age, uh, people, had parents who were in unions and they didn't view them as bad then because they weren't as activist of organizations or active activist, like, um, motivated in all situations. And so they almost have like a, like a romantic view of unions. Like they exist Mm, to care for, you know, the people who can't really stand up and speak for themselves in these large corporations or industries. And so it's hard for people to wrap their minds around the idea that unions as a whole are, um, can be very dangerous. And, um, I think too, when it comes to government schools, if you admit that the unions that are running the show and you don't like what the unions are doing, that's a huge hurdle you're going to have to overcome and you're going to kind of have to rationalize to yourself um, because they kind of seem unbeatable. And so I think a lot of parents 
And um, educators are just like, well, it's kind of the way it is. It's kind of our structure. It's kind of how things work. We need the unions. We need government education. So what can I do? Um, and so, and then they have the power that they have and that we're watching them use. <laughs> and as far as unions go, it's almost impossible for people not to be a part of it. Right. I get messages after I had done that episode, I got messages from some people who um, were in trade unions, mm-hmm. their husbands. Yeah. And basically like some of them had tried to leave yep. the union, but it was so, um, it was just like bullying's the best word oh, yeah. I can describe to get them back into the union. Yeah. And like, if you're not paying your dues, this happens to you essentially. Yes. And so it, it's really just, I don't know, it's kind of like a little mafia. Yeah, system. I heard the same a lot from um, people in my community who have husbands who were rail workers, um, husbands who um, worked during like all of the kind of the shipping crisis who worked on the docks, who worked um, on like during the supply chain issues, they worked on different ships. There was all kinds of these different unions. And what I heard from the different um, members of my community was just that their husbands wanted to leave for a variety of reasons, pay, days off, insurance reasons, care for, you know, their family wanting to move about in the, in the company. And just they were met with fierce resistance that it was, like you said, an all-powerful kind of entity that runs a lot of these industries. Yeah. So as far as lack of funding, you know, can you speak to that just a little bit? You know, the amount that the schools are getting and the test scores going down and the money going up. and Yeah. Um, well, you'll always hear from, I think, I I hope that they're going to start moving away from it in the interest of full disclosure and honesty, because there's not a lack of funding for our public schools. Um, on average, like you had mentioned from, from my post, public school students in our country are given approximately $15,000. They're not giving it, but is funded through our Department of Education through uh, to K through 12 programs, approximately $15,000 and each. And in some states that will be lower, like 11 to 12,000 and other states that will be upward of 18 to $19,000. This, this is per year. Yeah. And dependent on, and go ahead. You should see the amount of money these schools got. I, I wish I had pulled that oh, for yeah. this episode, but I just thought of it. But the amount of money they got during COVID it was insane. Insane. And lots of it hasn't been insane. spent yet. Lots of it hasn't been spent yet. Um, and so you have a Department of Education that, in conjunction with the states and what they collect, you know, with income tax or how much they allot to their government schools, these schools are getting quite a bit of money. And of course, there's going to be disparities at certain schools, but on a whole, the U.S. spends more per student than almost any other country in the world, and yet our scores are, our, our achievement scores are just abysmal. So, you know, when you have schools saying, we've been underfunded for years, um, or we don't have the funding, we don't have enough money for this and that, there are going to be situations where that is the case. But on the whole, it's not. And if that is the case, I would love to look at those schools closely and see what the breakdown is of administrators, where the money is going, what exactly it's being spent on, 
what is the um, actual facilities? What are they like? How many teachers do you have? What kind of administration do you have? What are you using inside your schools to facilitate learning with your students? What is your technological breakdown of expenditures? Um, Or what's your expenditures for technology in your classrooms? How many students per teacher do you have? What, you know, these are all questions that are not ever asked when a politician says that our public schools have always been underfunded. Because if this is underfunded, I don't know how, I just don't understand how $15,000 a year cannot support the learning of a child. Of course, we have to pay teachers and we do have to have a facility and administration. But um, like I said, we are spending hand over fist since the Department of Education was reopened in 1970. Our education spending has tripled, but our achievement scores have remained flat. So it's not, there's not a corollary there, you see? And uh, so it's a bad argument. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not a true argument. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I struggle. (laughs) I struggle with systems so much. Mm -hmm. The older I get, the more I struggle with all these systems that are in place because all three of us are homeschool moms, Mm -hmm. right? What does it cost you to educate your children at home? I can tell you for all three of mine put together, it's maybe a couple hundred dollars and that's usually in used books yeah. that we're getting that enrich the whole the lives of the whole family. Right. And of course, I know it's different because like it's in our home. Yeah. I'm not a professional teacher. We take a really relaxed approach, but the thing is my kids are learning. Yeah. They're learning everything they need to know and most of all they're becoming kids of character and I realize that not everyone wants to homeschool or should homeschool. But when we think about it and the way humanity has been for centuries, um, parents have always been and will always be the people that are most responsible for their children's education, whether they're in school or not. And when, when I can think of the fact that I can educate my own kids for a couple hundred dollars a year Mm -hmm. and they're doing just fine, I'm just, I struggle so much with the systems knowing that a lot of it, same thing in healthcare too, yes. right? A lot of the money is concentrated in the top tier yeah. where it's so unnecessary. Right. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, to hear people say that it's underfunded right. when I know darn well how much it costs to well, get a kid educated. It's not $15,000. That's right. And isn't it funny too that the same people who would totally, totally be willing to acknowledge the problem with um, the bureaucratic nature of, say, the uh, medical industry and big pharma and how these systems in the medical industry are run with the administrative bloat and all the money that is being exchanged and spent for ridiculous reasons. I mean, if you've ever gotten a hospital bill, if you've ever delivered like I have at a hospital and I've been in for two different major surgeries and I've seen what I've had to pay and I have good insurance. And I, so I know what I have been paid and it's a lot. The same people that are willing to acknowledge that, the inaccuracies and just the crazy nature of, of how this is being broken down um, and played out in real life with real human lives, um, they can't admit it when it comes to government schools. They will admit it for, say, something like, you know, 
the medical industry. Oh it's my a gosh. Sacred cow. Yeah. And it's like, guys, the exact same, these are government systems that are being run by federal bureaucrats trying to administer the same idea across 50 completely different states with different needs, different citizens, different people, different landscapes. Um, and it's not going to work. The Department of Education was never going to work. That's why it started yeah. around the Civil War, and then they stopped it the next year. It was never going to work, and it hasn't worked. It's one of the only, you know, federal programs that has yielded poor results since the beginning. It's not going to work. And mm-hmm. unless people really can identify what exactly they think education is and what it should be, as opposed to just like a list of, you know, standards and metrics that each child, mm-hmm. despite how completely unique and different children are, they all have to meet the exact same standards. Until they're able to establish what they actually think education is, it will not get better. It just won't because they're trying to put every single, they're trying to standardize humans and you can't do that. And you're not, it's not going to yield good results. So yeah, I have to touch on one other thing that you said, you were talking about the hospital bills that you've seen. So to me as a Canadian, that's a foreign concept, right? right? To see a hospital bill just doesn't happen. You go, you get the care you need and you go home. But the thing is, being the personality that I am, Mm -hmm. I want to see those receipts. You know what I mean? Like I want to know what it's costing. What's my medical care costing? What does it look like? Where's my money being spent? Um, Same thing with schools, Mm -hmm. you know, like I may homeschool, but I still have a vested interest in the public school system because that's where most kids are. And I want to see it do well. I want to see it succeed for the sake of the kids. So show me the receipts. Where is my money being spent? The same thing, if you're a Christian that ties to the church, the same thing could be said there because the older you get, the longer you're in church, the more you want to know that your money is being stewarded well, right? We're putting Mm -hmm. it into the hands of church that we love and trust. And we want to know that the money that we've been given by God is being stewarded well. So whether it's a hospital, a school, church, anything like that, show me the receipts. And not because I want to be antagonistic and I don't want to trust anyone, but because it's ours to steward, yeah, right? That's right. In in all those spheres. That's right. And yes, it, yes, hundred percent agree. I couldn't add anything to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, finishing up with a school conversation, public school exit enrollments decreasing. I think a lot of people, you know, want want to steward their kids well, yeah. right? And so, yeah. uh, and their children's education and they're seeing what's happening. So there is, there has been a massive decline in public school enrollment. And then this probably ties in with that, the LGBTQ plus, I'm not even sure if I have all the letters that yeah. are currently on that list, mm-hmm. but um, that <laughs> in schools right now, yeah. what's happening with that? That probably ties in with the exit a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure it does. I think that COVID opened a lot of people's eyes. They saw what Mm -hmm. their kids were learning. They saw the lack of what their kids were learning. They saw whether it was intentional or not, because I believe some teachers tried their very, very hardest during COVID and during the barriers that were placed in front of them to administer education to their children in their classes, to the children in their classes. Um, Parents saw that Zoom school wasn't working. It was never going to work. And also then they started questioning, well, how much technology has been u- is being used in these classes? This is going to be worthless there too. They saw the curriculum. They saw how their kids could not have cared less with what they were being taught <laughs> for so mm-hmm. many reasons. And now that they're back in schools, 
there's still just the atmosphere is not yielding growing, thriving kids. Every study that comes out is talking about the high numbers of children who, due to their atmosphere at school, due to their social media use, due to um, violence in schools, um, because of a lack of discipline from administrators, these kids are, this. we are losing a generation. And schools are not a safe haven for them on any front. And then you layer onto that the agenda of many of these progressive schools run by progressive teacher unions. And it's a recipe for disaster. You have on the front page of the New York Times yesterday, a liberal, one of the largest magazine, or excuse me, newspaper in our country, talking about how teachers are feeling the need to withhold information from parents about children who are wanting to transition, who are wanting to identify as non-binary or transgender or another um, another gender. Um, and this is making front page news because even the New York Times is like, yeah, this is a problem, what's going on, because you have liberal parents who are fed up, who are like, look, this is a contagion. This is not okay. The numbers are skyrocketing. And we need to have a discussion. And so you have progressive elite schools where people pay so much private schools where people pay so much money, they're getting indoctrinated with mm-hmm. this garbage. You have government schools that are a hotbed for so much of this propaganda. And um, I think parents are seeing the writing on the wall and they're like, this is not getting better. And we need to go back to fundamentals. Now, not enough of them are, I don't think, but there is an uptick right now. And um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I was just reading an article. I'm watching liberal media even come around to like, um maybe we're having a reckoning in public education, you know, and they're, they're hesitant to pinpoint exactly what is wrong. Um, they're being very careful, but anyone with eyes knows it's not education that's happening in schools right now. It's just not. Um, and it's not a great landscape on really any front at all for these kids. Yeah. I'm always really worried on the podcast that I come across as not just pro homeschooling, but anti sending your kids to school. And I want to just convey like, that's not it for me. I don't know about you guys, but it's, that's not it for me. Like I, there's people in my life that like my husband, he's a public school teacher. It's great. I think there needs to be Christian teachers in the public school system. So is my sister-in-law. Um, and I really believe there's great teachers. I believe there's even good schools, you know, that are great. And if you get that for your kids, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Consider it a massive gift. Yes. But I think in general is what we're talking about. We're talking about the systems, mm-hmm. the system yeah. in general, right? And that's what we need to be cautious of. Yeah. And if your kids are in public school, it's just the, the onus is on you as a parent yeah. to yes. work really hard to know what's being taught to your kid and to disciple them. Yeah. To dis- I mean, we're all supposed to be discipling our children. That's our, our main call as parents. Yes. Um, but there's just this extra level of attention that has to go into it yeah. when you know that your kids are 
in, in that sort of classroom all day long. And yes, we pray it's a great one, but they're still in an environment that is, is not necessarily what you would have at home. Right. So, right. And I think it's intentionality. Yes. Always intentionality and not just thinking you're in a conservative town. So the teachers are going to be teaching like, you know, conservative thoughts or, you know, not, or not, not even conservative thoughts. That's the wrong thing, but like not putting these progressive ideas in their head. You know what I mean? You you can't just make assumptions about what's being taught. You have to be intentional and being involved and asking questions. Yeah. And I think one thing to remember is that, you know, I don't rail on government schools for the heck of it, because what do honestly, Mm -hmm. I care, you know, if I'm going to say that, you know, I want to make it clear, like I homeschool and I have no intention of putting my kids in public school. So then why do I talk about so much? I talk about it because these children are someone's kids. And I don't Mm -hmm. care if I don't know them. They are children Mm -hmm. that are deserving of a quality education, an imaginative education, a place where they can be free to be innocent and young Mm -hmm. and discover and, 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 and kind of experience all the beautiful things that my kids get to discover every day. When homeschooling made me upset about the public school situation, I went to school to teach in the public school. I thought that that would be my life career. It wasn't until I homeschooled where I thought, oh my gosh, this is not what these kids deserve. This this government entity is doing a disservice to our kids. And I think that's why parents should care or why every citizen should care. Not because poor schools will bring down our home prices, but because these are someone's children that are having to navigate waters that, you know, is so above their level of understanding. And that's why we all need to, we all have a vested interest in this. This is our next absolutely generation of citizens. We should all be caring. Well yeah, absolutely. Well said. All right. So let's close on a fun topic, totally different direction okay. here, but you're pregnant. You mentioned that at the beginning. <laughs> yes. You're in your 40s. Yep. I'm pregnant. I'm about to be 40. Yep. And so um, I guess being confident in growing your family at this stage of life where outside opinion kind of dictates that maybe yep. you should be done and there's right. some judgment around it. Yep. I saw somebody ask you a question, I think, the other day on your uh, Instagram. And I was like, yeah, that's a good topic we should cover because I think that, I don't know, I feel it a little bit too and just hear your perspective yep. on that. Yeah. Well, uh, people have asked me since I got pregnant, you know, did, was this planned? Was it not? Was it a surprise? (laughs) And I think what that really tells us is that in our culture, it's not common and it doesn't feel natural for women over a certain age to have children. And I think that's because our culture has really defined what proper womanhood and motherhood and uh, should look like. And that's, you have your babies at this time. Um, really though, what you need to focus on is only having a limited number. So it doesn't kind of stifle your ability to travel and be a girl boss and go back to school or finish school first and then have your two. And so the idea of a larger family or having kids when you're a little bit older kind of puts a dent in what our culture kind of parades as the best possible outcome for females, which is you know, um, you have your two and you're through, and then you have them before you're 35 or 40, hopefully, so that you can have a very relaxing life with your husband later, and you'll be young when your kids are old, or 
you have all your fun up front, you have your career, you get established, and then you have your one or two. And you definitely then need to have dual income so that you can have a nanny so you don't have to, or put them in school so you don't have to quit your job. And so we have a very rigid idea of what it should look like, I think, in our culture. And some of that's changing, which I think is good. But I have never had more confusion than when I told some people I was pregnant. And lots of it was from people I don't necessarily know, but I was like, why? And it was always looking at the negatives. Like, you know, and and I laugh about it too. I'm like, I'm going to be 60 when my kid graduates from high school. That's kind of crazy, you know? And so it's much more focusing on that or, yeah, you're really getting old when truly people have been having babies like until they died for like a really long portion (laughs) of our world history. You know, we are just so consumed with control that the idea of a woman of 42 who already has, whose youngest is eight, the idea of getting pregnant again is like, why would you do that? You were, you were 10 years away from freedom, you know, cause that's our culture's yeah, freedom. idea of freedom. That's so sad. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It really is. But when you have the truth oh and you know how beautiful and good and important life is and that this, these children, you know, and this baby I'm carrying, the baby you're carrying are created by the creator for a specific purpose. I mean, it's, it's wild to think about. And so, but we have to remember that when we hear those types of comments, we're not dealing with often, we're dealing with people who don't look at it that way. Um, yeah, you absolutely. Know, so... <laughs> Yeah, my favorite was not this pregnancy, but the last one. Somebody, <laughs> we, we were at a get together, and somebody just like found out that we were pregnant, and yeah. she just yells across the room at my husband. I'm so glad I wasn't in the room. She's just like, "Was it an accident?" Yeah, oh, yeah. And he's just like, "No, like, it was on purpose." Like, like, like what do you say? I know, that? I know. Well, well-meaning people have said, "Oh my gosh, was this an accident? Did you mean to? Was it a mistake? Um, are you okay?" <laughs> about it. It's like, oh my gosh, you guys, first of all, wow, that's an intrusive question. But also <laughs> it's the heart of how we think of kids, you know what I mean? Like yeah. how we think of children in our society. They are, you know, for many people, and I post about it all the time, for a lot of people, they are a disruption. And that's really sad. But there are a great many people I'm always kind of encouraged because there's a lot of people on social media who will write me and say, you know what, I'm a little bit older and I really want to get pregnant. And, you know, I don't know everybody's medical history and if they're healthy or not, but if there's nothing to prevent them from doing that, we just try and control and wait for things to be perfect. Or we have this idea in our mind of how we can orchestrate, orchestrate this idyllic scenario and those don't exist and God knows and will give us what Mm -hmm. we need in the time he deems, you know, appropriate and all we need to do is trust. And so, you know, I don't know. It's wild though. It's wild being pregnant at 42. Everybody looks at you a little weird. So. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Well, that was kind of, oh, that was kind of a fun topic to end on. So (laughs) totally. (laughs) Anyway, I'm a little sad that I'm not in the club. Get in the club. Just kidding. That's what I keep telling I my 
I keep telling my one friend. <laughs> <It'd be a laughs> I was like, come on, get in the You're club. a little far from the 40s club too yet, Cecily. I'm a little far from the 40s club. And if I were ever to get pregnant again, it would be a miracle okay. from God. So I'm not putting, I'm not saying it couldn't happen. He can make anything yes. happen. But anyway, I, I know that I get to love on Rita's baby. I pray that I get to meet it while it's still small yes. and cute. Because it would just mean the world to me. Yes. But so happy for both of you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for taking this time with us. I know we're across three different time zones right now. I don't know if you guys listening don't know this. Oh, like hard. often these podcasts, <laughs> getting them scheduled for you guys to be able to listen to is something else because <laughs> we're often, you know, dragging ourselves across several different time zones. Yeah. Occasionally, we did a couple with someone in China. Like this is just. It's interesting getting things scheduled. So we really appreciate our guests that come on with us. And thank you, Rachel. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. I just get so much value from all the guests that we have on. You know, we always do episode prep beforehand, come up with some questions and talking points that we want to go over with them. And you feel like you have an idea of how the conversation is going to go. But then there's always these like hidden golden nuggets that you did not expect to find within the conversation. And I'm going to name a few that I got out of this conversation with Rachel. You know, she's such a valuable follow, follow on Instagram. Her handle is here are the headlines. And she just has a way of talking through things that makes sense. And you can see where she's coming from. And she has data to back up what she's saying too. So one thing that she said in this episode that I loved that I really feel like we all just need to tuck away in our brains to remind ourselves all the time that is that unbiased does not equal truth. That is something that's so important to remember in this world where people can throw around the term unbiased. And I think the temptation often is to believe them just because they say that, but that is not the case. Unbiased is not equal truth. Another thing that we talked about that I think is a really valuable lesson for all of us is to think about what altruism really means. How do we really help people? How do we really love people? How do we show compassion? Like we talk about a lot on the podcast, if you take an idea and follow it through to its end, does it still make sense? And I think that's really important when we're thinking charitably and altruistically. The third thing that I really enjoyed talking about was spending. And I know that seems really ridiculous that that's something that I would enjoy talking about, but whether we're talking about education, healthcare, anything, I think it's important to ask, show me the receipts because we ultimately are stewards of our money, whether it is tithing to the church or it's tax dollars, or it's just how you spend your household income, right? We are ultimately responsible for how our money is used. So show me the receipts, whether you have kids in public school or not, whether you're a Canadian in a healthcare system or American, these are just important things to take note of because we're not a people that just say, oh, well, whatever. We're people that ask questions and seek truth. So like I said, or like Rita said at the beginning of the podcast, don't forget to check us out at theboomclapcommunity.com. Don't forget to go follow Rachel on Instagram if you haven't already. Like I said, her handle is here are the headlines. You can also find us outside of the podcast. On Instagram, I'm Cecily.Dickey. I also have a website, thegracetogrow.com. And you can find me, Rita, at RitaRogersCo.com or RitaRogersCo on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.